0: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies.
2: It's riding. Right, it's time for options action. I'm Melissa Lee live at the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. Here's what's coming up.
1: In a market with still more questions than answers, Carter continues his offensive-defensive series with another healthcare haven that just hit a 52-week high. Then, Tony is looking at a home builder that could be a discounted catch-up to a larger macro rotation. Finally, not everything that bounces back is worth holding on to. Mike is hedging one specific sector that's traveling out of step with its own history. It's time to risk less to make more. Options action starts right now.
2: Let's get right to it. Despite the market's winning week, investors are still facing many large unknowns. So chartmaster Carter Worth is continuing his offensive defensive theme. Also, just like uh, UNH last week, he's continuing to favor the healthcare sector for best bets. So, Carter, what's next here?
3: You bet. We're going to look at a name in particular, but I think it's important to state that the objective here is to find something that can participate in market upside, but has some downside protection. So just as United Healthcare a very idiosyncratic pick we're going to look at Lilly. But first I want to look at some sector charts the healthcare sector relative to the market. So here is the first one. Now all we're looking at is a ratio. We're looking at the sectors relative performance to the SPX depicted in one line. And you can see where I've drawn an arrow that looks totally random. You could say well Carter you could draw an arrow anywhere. Now that line remember where that line is drawn that's late November and look at the next chart. Now That line is the trend line that's been in effect for the past 15, 18 years. So we're looking at the relative performance line of healthcare to the S&P, and it is bounced off that trend line to the penny repeatedly. Let's look at the next chart. Now, this is the all data chart going back to the beginning of S&P sectors as we know them now in 1989. And so simply stated, every single time that the relative performance line has come down to this trend line, it is bounced. And it bounced again in November four months ago, and it's been outperformance ever since. Healthcare is outperforming the market. Now, Lily, final chart. Um, is is that not what a breakout looks like? It doesn't matter what you call it, it's an ascending wedge. What we have is a strong stock that just now is moving out of a range it's been mired in for six months. And one could say, well, aren't we chasing this? Here's the thing, you know, Lilly has underperformed the healthcare sector going back to the inception of the sector in 1989. So you have a marquee name that's underperformed its sector long term, that's outperforming its sector right now. That's a good setup play for the breakout.
2: All right, Carter, um, Mike, what's the trade here?
4: Yeah, so I mean, there's a several things I like about Lilly. There's a few things that worry me uh, a little bit. So let's start with the things that I, I like. So first of all. Uh, You know, just in terms of what they've got going on on the drug side, which is the business they're in, they have uh, some very promising stuff going on in the diabetes area. In fact, they have some drugs that are going to be released mid-year this year, and that's obviously a huge market segment. Uh, They're delaying the accelerated filing of their Alzheimer's drugs, but they also have an adolescent dermatitis drug. I'm not going to try to pronounce any of these things because I've tried practicing it and I couldn't figure it out. But a lot of these things obviously represent, uh, you know, some potential growth in the future, and that's obviously a positive. The thing is, a lot of that is also priced in. The company right now is trading about 32 times uh, full year earnings for 2022, just under 30 times 2023's 9.72 a share earnings estimate, and that is essentially 20-year highs in terms of valuation. And of course, obviously, we've seen the market uh, bounce back quite sharply, and this one's trading at all-time highs. I think there is. Uh, some fundamental backstory to the strength that we're seeing right now in the price action, but in a way uh, that we can take a bullish bet but mitigate the risk of a potential pullback. I was looking at the May 290-320 call spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, that would cost about $10, about one-third of the distance between the strike, risking about 3.6% of the current stock price, uh, and obviously a way to get into it if you were looking to get into a round lot for considerably less than the $275 or so uh, or so that the stock was trading at as of the close.
2: So, Tony, what's your take on the trade? What's your take on Lily?
5: Yeah, so from from the charts perspective, I think you have the hallmarks of what you would consider a great technical setup. Not only do you have the breakout that Carter's showing you, but when you look at the relative terms, not only is the sector outperforming the market, the stock is outperforming its sector. So you really have everything you're looking for from a technical perspective. But I share the same concerns that Mike has on the fundamental side. You have revenue growth that's largely flat, that's expected over the next couple of years, earnings growth is starting to decelerate here, and when you're trading at those 27 to 30 times next year's earnings, which is at its historical upper bound of its range, these are some of the concerns that I have from a valuation's perspective. But that's exactly why using a debit spread that Mike is using is the only way that I think is worth trying to play this potential breakout. Uh, When you use a debit spread like this, it's one of the most capital-efficient ways to take upside exposure while reducing your overall risk. Here, he's he's risking only about 3% of the underlying stock's value, And by using a debit spread here where he's paying about 30% of the verticals width, he has a risk-to-reward of almost 2 to 1, actually better than 2 to 1, if EI Lilly does rally and breaks out higher to that 320 level, which is, I think, a conservative target from a technical breakout perspective.
2: Carter, your final word here on this trade.
3: Right. Valuation is always important. And yet, as all will know, valuation is not a timing tool. Uh, Let's play the chart.
2: (laughs) Okay. From healthcare to to homebuilders, the XHB homebuilders ETF on shaky foundation in the last few months, down more than 12 percent. But Tony is laying out a trade on one name he says could construct some gains by building on the greater industrials rotation. Tony, take it away.
5: Yeah, exactly. Homebuilders have lagged behind, but I think that's the opportunity here. So if we first take a look at a chart here of XHB, which is the homebuilders ETF relative to the market and the, the industrial sector, we see that home builders has outperformed both since the pandemic by nearly double. But we have really have seen homebuilders struggle here over the last six months or so. But as we start to see a bit of a silent rotation into industrials over the past month or so, I think this is an opportunity for homebuilders to play a little bit of catch up. And there's quite a few different names or ways that you can potentially play this. So the one 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 that I want to take a look at here is DR Horton because it is by far the most liquid from an options perspective. And if you look at the chart here for DR Horton, it broke out from that $80 level in March of last year. And despite a strong year from both a profit and revenue growth perspective, we're back at that $80 level. So I think right now the timing is specifically great for a long exposure from a risk-to-reward perspective. And if you consider the housing market right now, there's certainly a, a, a sheer number of of risks that I currently see here. Whether you're talking about a potential recession coming up, a rising interest rates, and even inflation, these are all headwinds for this particular industry. But when you consider the valuations that DR Horton is currently trading at, And utilizing an option strategy to try to reduce my overall risk, that's how I get comfortable with taking on the risk of this particular sector. So when I look at the trade structure here for DR Horton, I'm using one similar to Mike on Eli Lilly, using a debit spread. I'm going out to May, I'm buying the 85. 97.5 97.5 call vertical, spending about $4.72 for that May $85 call, and I'm collecting about $1.17 for that 97.5 call, paying $3.55 for this debit spread. That's just under, That's just about 4% of the underlying stock's value. That will give me about, again, a 2-to-1 risk-to-reward ratio if we see D.R. Horton resume back towards its recent highs around $100 or so.
2: Mike, what's your take on this trade? Do you like home builders here?
4: Yeah, I mean, for, first of all, demand for housing remains quite high. And the pace of anticipated rate hikes is relatively low and relatively slow. In fact, I would argue it is too low and too slow. But if you're a borrower, I suppose that's a good thing. Uh, now, just in terms of the trade, I want people to sort of think about this when you buy a debit call spread, and tony 's chosen the same structure that I selected in Lilly. This would be comparable if you already owned the stock to owning a downside put at the eighty seven and a half strike uh, and owning and selling the upside call uh, i mean the eighty five put and the ninety seven and a half call so essentially a collared stock position and when you consider where we are right now. Uh, I think that's a position that makes a lot of sense. Why? Because options premiums aren't really cheap. I mean, we've had some very shaky ground recently. That justifies selling the upside call, not to mention, I mean, what was 7.5% below the all time highs as of uh, the close today? Uh, That's not that far off of them when you consider what's happened. And owning some downside protection, given everything that's happened, also makes some sense. But this is one of those areas where valuation, I think, does. Uh, lend itself to potentially uh, getting into the name. So I, I like the structure and I, and I do like the space.
2: To the man who says, forget about valuation, look at the charts, Carter. <laughs> what do you see in the chart uh, for dear Horton? So, and does it, does it stand out in any way versus other home builders?
3: Not so much. Uh, a couple things. Well, relative performance, relative strength, something we all talk about as a group, it's very poor compared to consumer the discretion is a sector. It's poor to the market. We also know, and this is fundamentals or evaluation, what do you want to call it? One year ago, 30-year fixed mortgages at 2.8. They're now at 4.5. Um, still low, but uh, that will start to bite. My hunch is that, that it doesn't have a lot of downside, but it doesn't have a lot of upside. I think this sort of this sector, this area, this stock, about where it belongs.
2: All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com, and sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next.
1: Still to come, as Professor Coe often reminds us, you buy insurance before the house burns down. He's hedging one major sector that could soon see its recent bounce back extinguished. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns.
2: Welcome back to Options Action. The XLF Financials ETF has rebounded sharply during the last few weeks' exceptional volatility. But that's not quite an all-clear for the space because there's a lot of nuance under the surface here. Professor Koh is is, uh, getting to it once again. It's that important right now to remind us of one of his favorite adages, you buy insurance when you can, not when you have to. Mike, explain.
4: Yeah, I mean, it does very little good if, uh, you know, your neighbor comes to you when your house is burning down and says, you know, you might want to think about getting some insurance. Uh, Of course, when you're already in trouble, you know that full well. Uh, The time to buy insurance, of course, is you know when things are looking pretty good it 's going to cost you less, and the protection it 's going to afford you is significantly greater now, I know that financials were basically one of the favored sectors for full year two thousand and twenty two and in fact, if you 'd asked me six months ago, it probably would have been one of the things that I had said, but you know net of the big rally that we 've seen you know we had powell 's comments earlier this week. I think we need to put some things in perspective first of all rates are still very low. And one of the things that people have talked about as a reason to buy financials was they were talking about expanding net interest margins as an example of how financials could see greater profits if interest rates rose. Now, while that's true, that doesn't necessarily correspond to higher share prices. There's a couple reasons for that. The other thing I would quickly point out is that the pace of rate increases is looking incredibly modest. Uh, especially when you consider that our most recent inflation data is looking like 8%. And here we are hiking 25 basis points at a time, which I have to say is is really probably a joke. Uh, It just is is not very effective. And that could potentially mean that we're dealing with a stagflationary environment where we have inflation that's essentially exceeding uh, the pace of economic growth. That's not good for CNI loan growth. And you know, one other quick point I would make is that when we think about rising rates, oftentimes, we can talk about net interest margins. We also need to talk about multiples. Stock multiples will tend to decline in that kind of an environment. That is not bullish in general, not for financials, and not for anything else. The other thing we need to talk about is financial assets. When rates rise, what happens to the value of a financial asset that is paying you fixed amounts of money over time? Uh, the longer that period of time, the higher the duration, uh, the worse it's going to be. And the lower rates are where you start from, the higher the convexity. So none of those things uh, really get talked about that much. But that is a potential area of weakness as we look at the space. Uh, and I think when we take a look at the rally that we saw this week, that's an opportunity for us to potentially hedge. I was I was looking out to May, the thirty nine thirty five put spread. Now, normally when I'm looking at vertical spreads, I'm usually looking to spend about 25% on the downside with put spreads. And oftentimes you can get that. Part of the reason this was a little bit more is that XLF was just under 39. So this was actually slightly in the money when I was looking at this today. That was about $1.20. Still pay payoff better than two to one if we see further declines uh, you know, in the future after this, after this nice bounce that we've seen in the space. I think that's an opportunity uh, to put a hedge on, frankly.
3: Carter, what's your take here? Well, I would characterize it simply as a rally to a difficult level. But uh, let's look at a table or two and then uh, one chart. So the sector, uh, it's important to say this, right? Financials, it's the lifeblood of the system. They're the transmission mechanism, the big banks for the economy. But it's 67 stocks in total, $4.6 You see it there on the screen. And it's 11% of the S&P. But here's the thing. Next slide. The biggest names dominate, And here's the thing. Berkshire is the biggest of all. And is it a financial? Well, it is because it's insurance, but it's also railroads and so forth. So Berkshire at 14, almost 15 percent. Top five stocks at 40 percent. When we make a bet on the sector, we're often the case making a bet on just a handful of names. But finally, look at the chart. If there ever were a pair of twos, this is a one year chart. That line drawn is the actual midpoint of all of the trading over the past 12 months. So we have a 52-week high of 41.50, a 52-week low of 35.50, and we're right at the midpoint having bounced 8.5%, a great time to to take measures to look into insurance.
2: Tony, what are your thoughts on the sector?
5: Yeah, I think nuance is the right word here, because if you look at XLF, it is a very broad ETF with a a huge number of sub-industries within it. And two, I think, are important to point out, and Mike pointed this out. One is asset managers. You have declining asset prices. That's going to put a fairly significant uh, limit in terms of the upside for these asset managers but the big banks. Not only is interest rates what we should be looking at, but really the curve of the interest rates. And we see a flattening rate curve. We have the spread between the 2 and the 10-year at about 20 basis points, the spread between the 5 and the 10-year at about 20 basis points. That's going to put a downside pressure on net interest margin that uh, Mike was referring to. So when you consider that, you know, I think the upside here for XLF is extremely limited. And worst case scenario, you could see this heading significantly lower, especially in the inflationary environment that we're heading towards. So as you take a look at the the put debit spread that Mike is looking at, what's quite interesting about XLF right now, as he said, because right now things are calm, the implied volatility of XLF is actually quite low. The IV percentile is only at 19%. So he's actually able to buy an at-the-money strike price, the $39 strike price on XLF, for a relatively cheap price and only spending about 30% of the vertical spread. Normally, when we look at these types of of hedges, we usually buy an out-of-the-money option to do so. So by using an at-the-money option, he has a higher delta. He's getting better protection for a relatively cheap price uh, with, um, with a two-to-one risk-to-reward ratio. Again, if XLF does decline down to that 12-month uh, low, around $35 that Carter was referring to.
2: All right. Up next, we're mowing into a trade that is near and dear to our hearts. <laughs> Options, actions, back in two. Welcome back to Options Action. Last week, Carter and Mike laid out a way to play deer.
3: The stock has been resting for a year. It is exactly the same price as it was 12 months ago. In fact, March 18th of 2021, it was at 392. And here we are, March 11, 2022, it is 389. Punch and ready to break out.
4: I was looking at the April 420 calls. You could sell those for five dollars and 70 cents. I always when I'm looking at buy rights, you want to keep that expiration relatively near dated. You want to collect in general more than uh, one percent of the current stock price.
2: Dan, there is a lot of time left on this trade, but the stock has already hit a new all time high that prompted one of you to ask. I put on the dear buy right last week with the stock moving quickly higher. Is it time to roll out of the 430 calls to higher ground? So, Mike, how do you manage this one?
4: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So, you know, this is a situation where, uh, you know, you typically when you do a buy right, your hope is that the stock rallies to that short strike. Of course, in this case, the stock's up more than twelve percent in a very short period of time. Still not quite to the strike that we're short. But here's an important point. You know, the stock is up materially. I think we closed close to four hundred fourteen dollars a share, or something like that. That call option which we sold for five seventy was about ten. Uh, as of the end of the day. So you could indeed consider rolling uh, that strike up if you choose. Because here's what's going on, is that as we approach that strike, the upside of this trade, as this diagram shows us, is essentially capped. If we roll that, we are going to pay a small penalty uh, in terms of paying 10 bucks for that call, But we will give ourselves a little bit more upside. Usually, though, when I do that, I also like to extend the life of the trade so that it's about the same length of time as what I put on originally. So in that case, we would probably going out to month end, April, or even possibly to May expiration.
2: Is there more upside to the spike, Carter?
3: Sure, in the sense that if the concept of a breakout is the precondition is a long, sideways, quiescent period, once you start to break out, this is only session one or two, making new highs. It usually is not contained to one, two, three sessions. It's the kind of thing that goes for weeks and months. All right.
2: Up next, we have your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. We've got time for a tweet. One viewer asks, what's your take on metals mining? CMC, Vale, Tony, you want to take that one?
5: Yeah. So my view is fairly simple. I think the inflationary forces driving these stocks higher is not over. So I think uh, my view is to remain long.
3: Yeah.
2: Carter, how do the charts look on this?
3: Well, the Spider XME is up 50 percent in four weeks. I think it's the kind of thing where you want to be long, but you want to be selling premium, have calls written against it.
2: Is that the, uh, the way you'd approach it, Mike?
3: I mean, we do see, you know, when you start seeing
4: these kinds of moves in commodities you op- to the upside, you often will see increases in implied volatility that's uncommon in a lot of other sectors. So I think that probably makes some sense. Also, if you think that the rally is starting to get exhausted, that's a trade that you might take a look at.
2: All right. Time for the final call. Carter Braxtonworth, what do you say?
3: Healthcare generally, Eli Lilly specifically on the long side. Tony Zhang. The
4: risk-reward ratio favors D.R. Horton buying a call debit spread. My co. I also like debit spreads. Call debit spreads in the case of Lilly and put debit spreads in XLF. All
2: right. That does it here for us on Options Action. We'll be back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right
0: now.